James, thank you for your kind welcome. It's great to be here <laughs> together at uh, Haywards Heath Baptist Church. I've never even stepped foot in the building, admired it from the outside, so it's great to be here with you today. We're going to have a reading from, John, uh, from God's Word, from John and chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles here, I'm reading from the ESV. John chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking the towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured it into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe it with a towel that he wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but, does, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew was who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. But if then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, and, and scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. But I am telling you this now before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I, I, I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Well, as uh, James said, Haywards Heath Baptist Church is following the theme of unity during July, and uh, today we're looking at unity in serving, based on Jesus washing his disciples' feet in John 13, verses 1 to 7, the uh, portion I've just read. And here in 13, uh, chapter 13, we read about the upper room, the upper room discourse, it's called. Jesus takes his uh, disciples into the upper room and he explains what it's going to be like when he's left, when he's departed this earth. We're on Thursday night, the final week before his death and resurrection. He will be arrested early in the morning before it gets light. He will undergo a false trial in the small hours of Friday morning. He will be executed on Friday. He will die as the true lamb of God, the Passover lamb. This is Thursday night, the night before the foot-washing parable of what is going to happen at the cross. The whole purpose of this is to teach them the lesson about the cross. It is an act of humility, of course. It is an example, but far more. It is a picture of what is to come. 
This is Thursday night. They were alone in that upper room for fear of the Jews who were out to arrest Jesus. They were meeting in secret, and indeed Jesus was arrested in the garden later that same night. So on Thursday night, we pick up the theme. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew this hour had come, to the depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This sets the scene. It was an expression of love. This was about Jesus' love for his own who are in the world, the believers. First, the apostles who were gathered with him, and then, secondly, all who would believe after him. And he makes that clear. When he says he loved us, or loved them to the end, he loved them to the max, to the full, eternally, infinitely. As much as an infinite, eternal God can love, he loved. Immeasurable, inconceivable. That is all about love. Jesus answered them in verse 7, saying, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. After what? Jesus was sovereign. Jesus had sovereignty. He knew he was going to his death. It wasn't a mistake, was it? That's why he came. And he knew that Judas was about to betray him. Verse 2 during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Not even a Jewish slave was allowed to wash someone's feet. It was such a lowly th act. We take our shoes off, don't we, before entering houses uh, generally. Well, we do in Linfield. I guess you do it here, would see. And uh, the streets 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, uh, if you can imagine, you know, they didn't have cars, did they? They had horses and donkeys. So there was a lot more than just dust on the feet, on, on the streets. And that, that sets the scene. Verse 4, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe it with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus' humility. The creator of the universe is humble. Not arrogant, not self-centered, unlike human nature. He left heaven above, entered this world to wash his disciples' feet. To understand the cross properly, we must understand this in the context of the overall Bible leading to this point. John represents Jesus as the king come as the Passover sacrifice. You cannot understand the cross without understanding the Passover. John 1.29, John introduces Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. At Passover, when Israel was rescued out of Egypt, the angel of God passed judgment over the enemies of God at Passover. In order for Israel to be rescued, each Israelite family took in a lamb, which they eventually slaughtered, which is why they sprinkled the blood over their doorposts, so that when the wrath comes, death must take place, and the angels passed over their houses. So we see from the outset, we have been told what the cross is all, is all about. He, his death is to be the death of the Passover lamb, carrying out God's judgment. But not the lamb, but the king of kings, the lords of Lord, the man who came down from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to carry in his own body on the cross the punishment for our sins. 
he rose from supper, verse 4. He laid aside his outer garments and taking his towel, he tied it round his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. A picture of the Passover, all the weight of the Old Testament is brought to bear. As I noted from William Taylor, the rector of St. Helens, he said the idea of a servant is throughout the whole Bible. This act of Jesus is a wrath-satisfying, sin-bearing, substitutionary, penal sacrifice. Jesus made the greatest condescension. He loves the greatest. He has humbled himself the most since his love is in direct relationship to his humility. He who humbles himself most has demonstrated most love for others. His love is beyond compare, beyond comprehension, beyond understanding. Its height, its depth and breadth are outside of our capacity to understand. He said of himself in Matthew 11:29, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He came all the way down from heaven to bear a criminal's death he didn't deserve. He came all the way down to take our death so that he, we might go all the way and he to express his eternal love. And so we see the greatest humility of love and the relationship between humility and love manifests itself most dramatically and most perfectly in him. And now we can understand biblical love. Jesus describes this in his own words in John chapter 15 and verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. They were meeting in the upper room. It was Thursday night and the Lord was with his disciples. His earthly ministry was coming to an end. In verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he, he had come from God and was going back to God. That's what it says in, uh, in verse 1. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and going to the Father. He's going back to glory. He came from glory. He's going back to glory. Well, someone should have washed his feet. That would have been a good idea, wouldn't it? He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. At his, knee, every knee, at his name, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. They should have washed his feet. But nobody did. And so we uh, see that uh, they were reclining at the dinner with dirty feet. And they didn't sit in chairs like we do. They, they kind of put their feet up there and they put their head over there. And so there's a very good chance that your head might be next to somebody else's smelly feet. So it's quite important that people washed their feet. But worse than that, you can read this account in Luke chapter 22, they were having an argument. You know that, don't you? They were having an argument saying, who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's ridiculous, isn't it? They were all about their own dignity, their own honour, their own elevation. Nobody wanted to take the role of a slave, so nobody did. This has to be so grieving to our Lord, doesn't it? But he loved them anyway. He should be the one being honoured, being exalted, being lifted up, being treated with courtesy, but he is not. He puts his own love on display to listen to understand their weak and selfish, self-centred, self-absorbed disciples with the kind of attitude that is not going to advance the church. By this, Jesus said, shall all men know that you are my disciples. 
Well, how are they going to advance the church with that attitude, debating who is to be the greatest? Jesus just loves them. It might have been a time when he would rebuke them. It might be a time when he preached a sermon to them. But no, he just loved them and he gave them an example. The last acts of Jesus' life in this chapter through to, ver- to chapter 17 stand out as Jesus' acts of love. Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, he knew who he was. He came from God. He going back to God. The Bible is very clear. This is a statement of his absolute eternal being and deity. This is the whole point of his humiliation. He came from glory and stooped, and he stoops Thursday night in that room. He rose, verse 4, from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. 1 John 3.18 reminds us, love in wor- not in words only, but in deed. It is what you do that manifests love. Jesus did what no one else will do, what no one else would do. It was a very humble thing to do. For a fisherman, it was a, a mild condescension to wash someone else's feet. For the creator of the universe, for those billions of stars that we read about, it was a massive condensation, uh, condensation, condescension to wash somebody's feet. It was amazing. But this is a doctrine of the cross that offends our pride, doesn't it? It offends our pride. Peter says, you will never wash my feet. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who it was who would betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, so that you should do just as I have done to you. Simon Peter lets his feelings known. Lord, would you wash my feet? Peter knew who Jesus was, wasn't he? He knew it because we read it in the scripture, throughout the scripture, throughout the gospel. He's saying, you are the Holy One. To whom else should we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we believe and sure that you are the Holy One. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He knew who Jesus was. The rest of them knew who Jesus was. There was no debate about that. He also knew who he was. The same disciple who had said from, to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Jesus answered him in verse 7. What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand. And here, he's not just talking about foot washing. He's gone from the picture to reality. He's saying, Peter, you still don't get my humiliation. Remember that the disciples' view of the Messiah was a triumphalistic one, wasn't it? that he would come and reign, that he would kick out the Roman rulers, that he would rule Israel, that he would rule Jerusalem, that he would rule the world. That's the messianic view they had of the King of Kings and the Messiah. 
not the humbled servant. They even had a triumphalistic messianic view after he was crucified. In Acts and chapter 1 and verse 6 it says, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to us? They had a kingdom perspective. They couldn't understand the humiliation of Jesus. So our Lord said to them, you don't understand Peter. You will eventually understand my humiliation. And he did. In 1 Peter, he fully understands the condescension of Christ. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. And I've got to speed up, so is that okay? You're with me. You've got to speed up, otherwise we're not going to get there. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb that was out blemish or spot. They're the words that Peter wrote. He writes about it in chapter 1. He says in chapter 2, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. He got it eventually, and he wrote about it. John got it and wrote about it, as well as the other apostles. But they still, at that stage, didn't understand the humiliation all the way to the cross. He says to Peter, you don't realise now this humiliation, but you will understand thereafter. Well, Peter validates the fact that he doesn't get it by saying, never shall you, Lord, wash my sinner feet. What did Jesus mean when he said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me? What did he mean? He was talking about the need that Peter had to be cleansed. He needed what Ezekiel promised in the new covenant washing. He needed what Paul wrote about to Titus, the washing of regeneration in Titus 3 verse 4. He needed spiritual cleansing. And Christ was condescending, humiliating himself, going all the way to the cross to provide that spiritual cleansing. Peter was already saved by what Christ had not yet done and wouldn't do until the next couple of days. But it had already been applied to him as it had been applied to all Old Testament believers. Jesus said, nobody has a safe relationship with God unless that person has been cleansed by Jesus. If I don't wash you, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. This is what the Bible says, isn't it? There's no salvation under any other name than Jesus Christ. There is no forgiveness, no washing from sin other than through Jesus Christ. No man has come to the Father except by me, says Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to have a relationship with God, it's through me. If I don't cleanse you, you are not clean. You have no part with me. The only salvation is through Jesus Christ. So our Lord goes from a simple act to draw the spiritual truth, to lay it down for all generations, including us. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. What an incredible moment, isn't it, for Peter? What an incredible moment it is for us to know that our salvation is validated. You are clean, as we read in 1 John, because you confessed Jesus is the Christ, because you love God, because you obey his commands, and because you love one another. That is evidence. You've been bathed. You're clean. You don't need to be cleaned again. You just need a bit of foot washing. Well, what does that mean? As believers, what do we do? How do we live our lives? 1 John 1.19 says, If we confess 
our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This describes the believer. A believer is a person who, having been bathed, having been justified, having been regenerated, still picks up some dust of the world and goes on confessing and being cleansed. So good news, Peter. You've been saved. Just as Peter has so many weaknesses, so do we, don't we? Does that encourage you? I hope it does. If you see yourself like Peter and wonder, he says, you're clean. How could he think he's been clean? Because he's been covered already by the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you knew these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you will believe I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. And whoever receives me uh, receives the one who uh, sorry. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So they're shocked, aren't they? They're sorrowful. They're convicted because the Lord Jesus did what none of them were prepared to do. They knew that foot washing was the lowest thing on the social ladder. It was a profound lesson, the issue of pride, because they knew exactly how he was acting. Jesus was washing their feet. Verse 12, when he said, when he'd washed their feet and put on the outer garments, he resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. So this is the lesson. Love like this. Love selfishly, selflessly, humbly, the most menial, simple necessities of life. Start there. And all the more elevated things will come. That's a summons from the Lord to his followers. If I, the Lord, if I, the teacher, have done this, if I, the master, and if I, the one who sent, have done this, shouldn't you, the student, the slave, the one I sent, do this? Shouldn't you, who are less than me, do this? If I, the most exalted, elevated person in the universe, can stoop, can't you, who are infinitely less than me, humble yourselves? This is the whole lesson, all built around what Luke 22, 24 says, when they were arguing about who, which of them was the greatest. Jesus could have preached them a sermon, but he didn't. It might have worked, but he did it by example. And that must have shaken them to the core. So how do you teach people to love? By loving. The disciples are going to have to teach the church to love. How are they going to do that? By a sermon or by loving? Unity in serving. Scripture says, how blessed are those who walk in the way of the Lord. How blessed are those who trust in the Lord. How blessed are those who hear the word of the Lord and obey it. If you do this, you are blessed. And one of the blessings is knowing that you're saved. The other blessing is that the world will know that you are saved. The gospel 
will be lifted up and Christ exalted. Unity in serving. Thank you, James. Tim. So, yeah, we'll come to... Um, before we come for a time of communion, uh, we will just... Uh, we will stand and sing in a couple of minutes, the Servant King. Um, is, oh, uh, sorry, yeah, we're just getting the musicians together. But one of the lines which flows beautifully from what Tim said to you know, communion in, the verse of the serv- in one of the verses in the Servant King, come see his hands and his feet, the scars that speak of sacrifice, hands that flung stars into space, to cruel nails surrendered. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him. So, yeah, um, yeah. After the after the song, we will have yeah, we'll come together around the communion table, and to celebrate and remember the true Lamb of God, who went to the cross for our benefit. This is our God. 